We're going to talk about the wrecking ball. The, uh, it's, not, it's not actually very funny, um, but there she is, Dudu Mieni. Without her, South African Airways would not need a 21 billion rand bailout, which is announced well, pretty much in the draft form this morning. We're going to talk about that in some detail in, to, in today's program of Rational Radio. Uh, we'll also have a Captain Jimmy Conroy, who attended that trial. It went on for five years when finally all the information is now out in the public domain and arrests surely have to follow in the near future. But we'll be picking up lots of information on that. Of course, David Shapiro is with us. We are revisiting with Corky Koyman uh, after he told us a couple of months ago that financial shares offered the best opportunity he'd ever seen. And then we'll be talking to Anthony Levine, who's based in Israel, who wrote us a smashing piece on BizNews talking about the God of economics and why the Labor Relations Act in South Africa is, well, not very smart because it tries to upend the God of economics like King Canute attempted to do with the tide coming in. But here's our man, David Shapiro. And uh, as always, Mr. Shapiro, I'm happy to see you. We've got lots to talk about today. Uh, first of all, of course, all our fans uh, who followed the BizNews um, portfolio, who bought Sassel, as we did at 28 Rand, are now looking at 96 Rand and saying, come on, David, why didn't you give us that one too? <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I, I've been cautious all along. I'm, when, when it comes to companies, I'm, I'm very cautious. I like to look at the news. And if there are troubles ahead, I tend to stay away and until the outlook changes. So I've been, you know, there's no certainty on uh, demand. picking. It's looking a lot better. I'm not, I'm not challenging that, and, and markets are moving in the right direction, but there's still so much that we have to get through there. But I'm not, I'm not unhappy that the share price is going up, really. I, you know, anything that moves in the right direction, I'm going to support. So and well done to you. you know. Well, and, uh, and to Stuart, of course, uh, he's, he's now known as the manipulator of West Street. We're both here in the office. We're allowed back, Dave, because, in fact, on, on Level 4, we were allowed back at BizNews, you know, we, we, uh, we are an internet publishing company, which, believe it or not, uh, we're allowed back as a, I suppose, semi-essential service. But I'm back in the, in the, in the WeWork, in the BizNews studio at WeWork and look forward to seeing you here, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. But, Stu, before we go any deeper into our chit-chat, uh, how exactly uh, can our... Um, uh, our business community, and it's only for premium members, obviously, who, who are with us today, post their questions, and let's make sure they can all hear us. Thanks, Rose. I see the sound is going through. I'll deal with Rose. Sorry, I think it's an audio setting, but don't worry, Rose, I'll send you some info now. Um, as I mentioned, the questions, we'd like to keep it very formal, uh, informal, sorry, so if you please put your questions in on the control panel on the right-hand side, Alec will pass them on to David and other guests, but uh, all ready to go, Alec. Right. Every, uh, you don't want to just check that the hands are up. I didn't see any hands raised. I'll check them. Oh, there they go. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, got, we got old timers uh, on, not old timers, um, experienced attendees of webinars with us. David, I like the picture. It's much better than the one of you with the mask. Yeah, I know. I know that's an awful one. It's just a bad reminder of where we are. So, so where are we? Where are we? When investors pick up the phone to you, all your clients, what questions are they asking, and what are you telling them? I, I'm okay. You know, we've we've 
kind of uh, been positive all along, knowing that this would pass. And it's been a very difficult time for for investors. There are different markets, Alec. You know, the, I, the global markets are all right. You know, and um, I know we're going to talk to Cocky, and, and I'm very interested to hear his comments on that. But, I mean, on the global market, um, if you look at the S&P on a year-to-date year to basis, we're down less than 6%. So virtually after last year, after a wonderful year in 2019, to only be down 6%, I think is uh, is a lot better than I thought we'd be. On our market, we're down about maybe 12%, which also uh, under the circumstances, admittedly that's in RAND. But I think um, we're, we're far more secure. I'm not, I'm not negative. You know, I'm not, I'm not negative globally. I think markets are going to claw their way back up. Uh, South Africa's got a lot of issues and they, they, you know, you're going to be talking about banks as well. And that's a one area together with property that has concerned me a lot. Um, we've seen major, major weaknesses. And you ask about clients, uh, questions, you know, I just got a question now and I said, well, I don't know how this is going to unpack, but if I had an opportunity, I'd buy options. In other words, this is one time and I'm not a derivative trader. Believe me, I never delve into, um, to gear products or options or anything like that. But in the same way as Buffett took options, uh, he took warrants in 08, 09 on Goldman Sachs and various other structures that he, that he went into, I think it's a wonderful time now because I think the evaluations there that we're seeing um, that, that I don't think you're going to get another chance to look at. Mm. So there are opportunities that are going to come out of this. David, we'll have a look in a moment at the markets generally, but if you consider what South African, the advice for South African investors right now, and, and there's the, uh, the big question uh, on our business premium side and it's it's actually a, a really really good podcast that my colleague Dr. Felicity Duncan, we should start calling her doctor now because she is actually a doctor, uh, she's got her doc PhD um, and I, I think that what Felicity has done is she's had a look, she goes through all of the podcasts from our partners at the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg and she picks out the best of them and she's had a look here at the at the two points on the global markets should the globe, are the global markets uh, over overbought uh, or are they still offering opportunities but the real question she comes to or, or the, the conclusion she comes to is as a South African investor you don't really have an option you've got to invest offshore what, what do you think about that absolutely right you know, I'm not, I've, I've been, uh, beating that drum for, for good six, seven, eight years already. And, and it comes down to the opportunities. Um, if we look at the S&P, and I'm using the S&P as a gauge for the U.S. markets, it's, uh, it's an index. Um, if you look at it, it's dominated by growth. Uh, growth companies, tech companies, which are giants, and really they're the kind of businesses that uh, we use every day and dominate. In fact, even as we sit here, those, these are the kind of companies we need. So you are not investing in the U.S. economy. You're investing in the companies that dominate the S&P, and there's a big difference. Those businesses are doing well at the moment and making profits, generating cash, and generating enough cash, number one, to secure their future. Why secure their future is that they can invest uh, in their own brands or in their own businesses and also perhaps look for other opportunities to invest in. So they become the best the best uh, venture capital businesses. You know, um, you don't have to look for venture capital businesses. So that's my, 
You know, my contention is that, uh, uh, in the same way as process and NASPIS dominate the South African markets, you know, you're buying those when you're buying, um, the top 40 here to a large extent, 25% of it is made up of those companies. So you're not buying the SA economy. And that's why I like markets, you know, uh, other than the economy. And it's, there's a disconnect between, between the underlying economies and what the markets represent. Mm. So yep, I still think that offshore just gives so many so many opportunities and so exciting. You know, there are just so many new businesses that are emerging. We've done really well uh, with the business portfolio by going into tech stocks or exponential stocks in America. Is that still where you would be putting your money? Oh, absolutely. I don't. I, I don't look at. I don't look at uh, price earnings ratios and values like that because I've long learned that those don't dominate. You know, if 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 uh, if we would have, if, you know, Amazon was always expensive. Facebook was always expensive. You know, those companies have always been expensive, and I rather watch where their growth lies. You know, where what the growth upside is for those businesses. So um, you have to look at those kind of companies. Um, uh, you know, from, from take a four or five year view, are they still going to be dominant? Are we still going to be using them? And in many cases, uh, the answer is yes. And unregulated, unregulated monopolies because yeah. no one can challenge them yet. And uh, it will come somewhere, but not yet, not under the current circumstances. That's quite an extraordinary graph. If you have a look at from uh, well, I've just gone back about a year. Uh, at the blue graph is NASDAQ. The black one is the S&P 500. And the outperformance by NASDAQ on the S&P 500, as you can see there on the right-hand side, as of Friday, was 35%. That's quite extraordinary. Am I getting it wrong? Hang on. Sorry, 15%. I apologize. It's, uh, uh, S- NASDAQ up 25, S&P up 10 So in the last year. So 15% outperformance. Still the place to be, or is it not overbought? No, no, I, I don't think it's overbought. I still think there's there's more upside. So be beware of uh, you know follow that trend. You don't have to look for anything. You don't have to be too clever, and understand the underlying businesses. You know you can't just buy it without knowing what you're actually buying. But I think that um, if you look at a company like uh, Microsoft, which is now the most valuable business um, in the S and P. Um, their upside is still enormous, you know, as they expand into cloud. And with cloud itself comes a whole lot of ancillary businesses or associated businesses that will grow with them, you know, from the chips that go into the computers or to into the servers um, to the software companies that now have to process. You know, there's a different process when, you're, when you've got your uh, data on cloud, cloud. It's a different processes that are involved. So you're getting a whole lot of businesses associated uh, to that, to the companies that actually make the chips. Um, so I, I still think that there's, there's um, you know, plenty of upside at this stage. Uh, so one doesn't have to be scared. You're get volatility. It happens in markets, but uh, just, just stay with that trend. Isn't that a wonderful graph that we've got on screen now, David, of Microsoft? Do you think of Microsoft, you think, oh, boring, uh, the kind of share that, well, uh, you could possibly put in your bottom drawer, and one day it'll be it'll it'll be worth more in the future. But look at the way it's recovered uh, through the COVID-19 crash, and indeed at a level now which is approximating its all-time highs. In fact, it's one of the best performers in in our portfolio, despite the fact that it it's supposed to be a pedestrian stock. Uh, you'd mentioned cloud. 
And I guess mm-hmm. the the share that you've got to compare that against is our favourite share, uh, or my favourite share anyway, <laughs> which is Amazon. Uh, and, and I suppose if you've got a ten, if you have a ten bagger as we've had in the last five years from Amazon, well, who's to stop us? But there's an interesting uh, comparison. In the past year, Microsoft has actually outperformed Amazon. So that, uh, uh, by 11, uh, 11%. Uh, Not bad. Yeah. Amazon is, uh, and, and one of the reasons, and uh, as an accountant, I love Amazon's accounting because they write off everything straight away. Mm-hmm. They don't capitalize. So where they're expending on building a business, they, they write it off at, at the start. And I think, I don't think, uh, analysts, um, actually appreciate that. Uh, so what you see is what you get. And Bezos just keeps building that business. You know, he doesn't stop looking for new avenues and new angles and that. And, uh, yes, it scares regulators because of his power. And it certainly scares Trump. But, um, um, here's a man who, who, I, you know, at the moment I've got the utmost faith. Um, his judgment is just superb. And, and, yep. So, so, you know, he writes off in the, in the last quarter. That's why there was also, he wrote off a huge amount of money, which he's reinvesting in the safety of his staff, you know, which is the right way to go. So you can't punish him for that and say, oh, we're not getting earnings. I think earnings is coming subsidiary to other, to other issues. You know, um, in a new world now, you're much more interested in the brand of the company, the community, what it, what it contributes to the community, what it contributes to its customers, what it contributes to its staff. You know, so, uh, but the earnings will come. So I'm with you as well. I've, I've got both of those, you know, and continue to support them as well as, as well as Google and Alphabet and uh, a whole lot of others. <laughs> Well, David, it looks like uh, Corky Koyman is still struggling to get through. So while we're waiting for him, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, if Jimmy can, uh, can step up to the plate. Before that, though, there are a number of questions that have come through. Uh, the, uh, Mark Dutoy wanted to know, is it too late to buy Sassel? Is there only limited further upside? It, you know, it, it, it doesn't look that way. And, and I'm saying I'm, I'm kind of indifferent on Cecil. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm still hesitant and worried. But, uh, the, the, what we're seeing at the moment, the buying behind it suggesting that once again, like markets, uh, uh, the smart money knows more than I do and we do. And, and therefore the smart money is saying, Go with it, you know, at, and the fact that it's 96, it's more likely to get 130 or 140 before it's going to come back to, to 50. You know, that's what the market's saying to you. So from that point of view, you know, I've kind of got it wrong and I'm not, I'm not scared to admit it. And I hope, I hope that I am wrong and that we do see, um, you know, things, things improving dramatically for Sassel. Well, Mike, you got David's uh, response. Uh, welcome now, Jibby. Sorry to bring you in a little earlier than anticipated, but I, I think that uh, Corky must be um, maybe fighting with his, uh, his technology, but I'm sure he'll be with us in due course. The background to the reason why I asked you onto the program today is uh, what you can see on the screen now, and that is, that is the uh, over the past five, six, seven, eight years, uh, Dudum Yeni, the chair of South African Airways, has been pilloried in the media 
they've been the uh, the uh, cartoonists have had an absolute field day uh, with her. It seems the only people who were not aware of what was going on were the people who were in government at the time. And here I'm talking particularly about President Jacob Zuma, although now that we have uh, Miss Justice uh, Rennell Tolmay's judgment, uh, after f which has been five years in the making and it's in the public domain, we now have a pretty good idea about what Dudum Yeni, who is the chair of the Jacob Zuma Foundation, and her patron were getting up to, and it is very much in line with what the cartoonists were saying. From an inside perspective, though, Jimmy, from your perspective, uh, you're a, as you can see from the picture, you're a pilot, have been a pilot with South African Airways for 38 years. You recently retired. How instrumental or how big a role did you play as the Pilots Association chairman between uh, 2016 and 2018 in this whole court case that we've now finally seen the judgment on? Yeah, hi, Alec. Thanks for the opportunity to chat. Uh, um, I just become chairman of the Pilots Association in, I think it was June 2016, when the BNP Capital issue broke. Um, I became aware of that through Outer, and the thought occurred to me, why is Outer getting involved in this? Why aren't the pilots getting involved? Because we are directly affected. So um, I then made contact with Wayne Duvenage from Outer, and uh, from there we uh, agreed to collaborate on investigating what it was all about and to take it from there. And so the case grew from that point onwards. And the more digging that we did, the more that uh, we uncovered. And ultimately, it ended up in charges being laid against Ms. Amini in 2017. And we eventually got it to court in February this year. Just to unpack the two particular issues that uh, Judge Renel Tolmay focused on, it appears the first of those, there was a deal that South African Airways had with Emirates which it should, could have expanded, uh, which in fact would have generated sufficient profit, according to the judge, that SAA would have gone into this uh, COVID-19 crisis in pretty good shape and perhaps even survived, let alone the $21 billion that is now having to be injected to sort it out. Just take us through what went on there and, and how she could have carboshed that deal. Well, actually, instead of buying a good crime novel, um, I suggest you read could read with some turns and subplots. But um, basically, to make it a short story, Emirates pretty much guaranteed SAA $100 million a year in return for SAA's assistance in keeping the fourth schedule that had been given to them by the Department of Transport, um, Emirates actually wanted SAA to fly that fourth schedule, to operate that fourth schedule. And um, for some inexplicable reason, Ms. Mieni did everything she could to put a stop to this deal, and eventually she succeeded, and the deal fell through. Um, so that 
That costs the airline between 1.5 and 2 billion rand a year since 2015. What Paul O'Sullivan says, and he laid charges against Mjeni, criminal charges in 2014, he says that the reason why she blocked the deal was she went to Emirates and asked for a 10 million rand bribe, which they refused to pay. And as a consequence, she continued to hold out for that. If he's right, and Paul doesn't say these things lightly, and if the judge's uh, uh, advice is being taken, it looks like Mjeni will probably go to jail. What's your thought on that? Well, I don't know anything about the allegations about her asking for a bra. Um, but when it comes to criminal charges, we have asked for the matter to be referred to the NPA, and the judge agreed. And as far as I know, she has referred it to the NPA for further investigation. So that's the first part of the story, that there was a deal with Emirates which would have given South African Airways $100 million a year. The second part was a rather infamous uh, operation called Quartile Capital. Unpack that for us, please. This has to do with um, what we call the, the Airbus swap deal. Um, basically, SAA wanted to replace its um, fuel-thirsty four-engine aircraft with twin-engine aircraft long-range twin-engine aircraft. We were committed to purchasing um, 20 A320s. We'd taken delivery of 10 of them. We didn't want the last 10. So in what I thought was a, quite a good move, Nico Bezadenot negotiated a deal to swap those 10 A320s for five A330-300 aircraft. Um, Miss, Miss Yeni then got involved in this and she tried to, where, where Airbus was agreeable to the swap without any penalties and in fact on quite favourable terms for SAA, Miss Yeni then got involved in the issue and she tried to inject Quartile Capital as a leasing company into this lot and Airbus refused to do so. And um, that ended up with the Minister of Finance finally issuing an ultimatum to Ms. Mieni, and eventually the deal went through. But uh, in the process, um, Minister Nieni was uh, dismissed from his post, and Mr. Van Rooyen came in over the weekend, and then eventually it was Minister Pravin Gordon who told her to, go, to, to get on with it and to conclude the deal. And the deal was concluded. Jimmy, uh, you spent a lot of time in court watching all of this. Yes, I did. Um, I retired the end of September, so the case started on the 7th of October. So I was fortunate enough to be able to sit in and attend the whole court case. Reading through the judgment, it appears as though the person who uh, the focal, was the focal point of this, Dudu Mieni, uh, didn't attend as much of the, of the hearing as you did. No, she didn't. Um, in fact, uh, she stayed away for our entire case. And then at the, at the end of our 
presentation or leading of evidence, she was faced with the option of either staying away and not appearing to give evidence, in which case the court would have to accept our version of events, or coming in to testify. And uh, she chose to come in to testify after we concluded our evidence. So as a result of that, she wasn't aware of the evidence that had been led. And I think that acted, that was to her disadvantage when she did give evidence. And reading through the judgment, were you surprised, having followed it so closely, that uh, the judge was as scathing of Dudum Yeni as, she, as, as we read? No, not at all. In fact, I think the judge did a great job in summing up the salient points. So I'm, I'm, I was very pleased with what I read. Jimmy, what does this mean, though, for South African Airways? This morning we saw the draft document from the business rescue practitioners, which tells us that 48% of the staff are going to be retrenched, that uh, many of the airlines' uh, pilots presumably would be amongst them. You've got 617, or there were 617 SA pilots going into that. So if you just have a, a, a straight... Um, line through that, it would suggest about 300 of them, uh, your former members, are going to have to find jobs elsewhere. Given this environment, that couldn't be too easy. No. Um, but, you know, it's kind of been on the cards for a while now, um, with SAA steady decline. It was started under Dudu Mieni and just accelerated. And I think by 2018, 2019, um, the airline had run up such a debt that it was always going to be a struggle to get out of there. So I hope SAA version 2.0 can rise from the ashes and that we have a viable airline. Jimmy Conroy is, as you can see from the screen there, the former chairman of the South African Pilots Association. And we're going to be talking more on that whole subject, uh, the, the judgment, with Wayne Duvenage from Outer. He'll be our guest on Thursday. David Shapiro, uh, your thoughts on, on the, the whole restructuring package that we're seeing at South African Airways. And by the way, Corky, uh, I'm going to give him a call. Uh, on uh, on the phone, so we'll bring him in on the phone. He's just been struggling to get in through the uh, through the front door, as it were. Um, he says he's, he's he's got a Windows computer. Well, what else can we say? Mm. Dave, what do you make of of uh, of of the the 21 billion that's going to be needed to be injected into South African Airways, and is it good money being thrown after bad? <laughs> you know, the problem is um, is is who's going to be running it. You know, are the, are the same people who lost the money or who were unable to stop to do any, uh, doing what she did? You know, are we going to have the same people, uh, running the airline? I think that's, that's futile. You know, you have to replace the board. You have to replace the, um, the, the people who were responsible for putting us in this kind of position. So the big issue is, you know, SAA was always a, a great airline. I'm, and I'm talking about the quality of, uh, the service that we got there. The airlines, the technical service, those issues, not the backroom uh, financing side. That I know very little about. But, but Alec, it comes down to 
You're taking sharehold, you're taking taxpayers' money once more. Are you going to give it to Prabhupada Gordon again? Are we going to give it to the same people involved in actually running it to where um, you might find another Dudu Mayeni rising from the ashes? You know, that's, that's my big fear. Uh, or are you going to hand it over to a crowd like Emirates or, or uh, um, Qatar or any of those other successful airlines? Yeah. So that's the big concern. This is big stuff, Alex. It, it's justifiable, but I, I do think you need to read the judgment uh, because in Nico Bazadna, they've really got a good operator, and you can see uh, through the judgment that he had it all together. And then Mieni went and, according to Paul O'Sullivan, wanted a 10 million rand bribe, and bang, there goes 100 million dollars a year in profit from SAA. Well, Corky yeah. is indeed with us now. Corky, uh, can, can you hear yes, me? Alex. Yeah, good, good to have you. Good to have you. It's a pity we, we can't see you, but uh, yeah. I've, I've got a very nice picture of, of you here. So <laughs> there we go. Looking, looking young as, as ever. Well, when we spoke a little while ago, uh, you were very smart in what you told us about where the opportunities lay, and, and I'll put that up on the screen, that story, in just a, a little while. But how are you reading your area of expertise, the financial shares, right now? Yeah, Alec, um, I was right in the sense that the valuations that we saw uh, had just fallen to such an extent that, you know, we'd never seen valuations like like some of the, those, even at the end of 2008 and 2002, um, and uh, you had to go back to 1982, 3, 4, uh, to see valuations across the board like that. Um, but where we were wrong is that, you know, the, the outlook uh, deteriorated further. Um, but funnily enough, the market didn't. So, um in terms of financials, had bottomed in that week and stayed there for a while and now starting to recover. So what are we seeing? Why do we think the market is not seeing this? And, and, and why is the market not seeing this 50 to 60% upside that we see? I think the first thing that the market is missing is this loan growth. And so for all the banks that we've been speaking to globally and we've been reading the results and listening to managements are reporting good loan growth. Even Standard Bank this morning as well say, actually they will use the word robust uh, as as the larger clients are using their drawdown facilities. Because we mustn't forget that businesses are experiencing negative cash flow. So, you know, they're using their facilities at the banks. Um, and post the lockdown, this will actually increase um, as initially revenue comes back slowly, but you've got to start stocking up on, on just working uh, you know, raw materials, working capital needs, and you've got to pay staff again. So the loan growth side is actually a lot stronger than people expected, and the digitalization that strategies that the good banks embarked on past fees are really paying off. But so the real fear on the market is more on the bad debt side. And even there, we're finding that yeah, it will be a lot less than, than, than the market expects because the market is focusing on a lot of the smaller businesses and individuals, but as a percentage of the loan book that is actually very small in, in the larger banks' lives. And besides, the banks post-2008 are changed animals. They've got much more diversified portfolios, much safer portfolios, uh, larger um, capital reserves and bad debt reserves. So 
you know, all in all, when we talk to banks, sure, this is tough, and, um, but the market is focusing too much on now and not on the second half when things will start to improve and the banks will actually come out quite strongly. So I've got the first rand graph up on the screen, Corky, at 40 bucks roughly where it's trading at the moment. Uh, this is a, a level that I'm going to try and see when last we were there. You would know uh, offhand, but there we go. It goes back to 2014. So you're talking about six years since the share price yep. has been at this level. Yep. How, yep. how yep. much of a bigger company or more valuable company would First Rand be today than what it, than what it was six years ago? Well, it has shown a, a return on capital of about, let's make it 22%, of which it's paid out about a third in dividends. So it has added its share of value um, has grown at let's make it 15% per annum. So over six years, you know, that is, that is, it must, it's more than double the value. And you can see that on the price to net asset value. And I'm trying to just open that on my screen as well. But, but generally we haven't seen price to net asset values or you know, as a price to what the capital of the bank is. We haven't seen that, I think, since 2002. Um, so, yeah, and on a PE basis as well, you can see the PEs are very low as well. Um, so yeah, even in 2008, first trend traded as low at year end was 1.7 and now it's 1.56. So the valuations are actually quite low. And now bear in mind, true. The South African side of things, if you compare to South Africa and countries like Brazil, and even maybe India, all well, that's a different kettle of fish compared to the global banks. Globally, you've got a lot of countries like the U.S. have got huge bazookas, in fact, a nuclear arsenal that they are using to keep the economy firing. Uh, the problem with South Africa is that obviously our, our arsenal is very small, so our economy is going to grow a lot slower. Um, and so it's going to be tougher for, for the economy and for banks in this economy. So globally, banks will do a lot better than South Africa. But even here, they will still come through better than you know, the market things. I've got Capitec up on the screen now. And I remember we spoke uh, about that, that massive sell-off in Capitec, which took the share price down to, as we can see, to 682 Rand, virtually half. But then that was because Michiel Leroux, had uh, had options that uh, that protected him, but didn't protect other shareholders. So as a consequence of that, it was just a, a flash drop, uh, if you like. Yeah. Michel Leroux being uh, being a very yeah. very wealthy man who made a gazillion rands out of being the founder of this group of Capitec. But if we go on to where it is now, it it really hasn't done a whole lot. And yet, if you consider that it focuses on the bottom end of the market, where if any part of South Africa is going to be okay, you'd, you'd think it might be there with all the well, 17 million social grant recipients, etc., or am I misreading this? Yeah. No, um, look, its client base is going to suffer, and you can read that from the, what the other banks are saying as well. I think that a few areas are going to suffer. Obviously, any exposure to commercial real estate uh, and to tourism and et cetera. And so the lower end of the market will suffer as well. But Capitec has been incredibly discerning the past few years. 
in their rejection rate of new credit applications, I think went as high at one stage, I'm speaking memory, but it went very high, let's say 70, 80% of rejection. So the clients have got on um, are better quality clients and they're still going to suffer, but they will be able to, a large percentage will be able to repay, um, you know, once, once as the economy now opens up again. So, Again, this is an th- unbelievable business, very good systems. Um, it has diversified away from interest income. Fee income, I think, is now close to, if not now larger than a half, 50% of its revenue. Okay, fee income, by the way, will also be under pressure, but it's not as bad. And so in making investment decisions now, you've not got to look at 2020. You've now got to look at to visualize what the world will look like in 2022, 2023. And Capitech will be there. It will continue to grow. It will continue to take market share from, from other uh, banks. And it's trading still fairly high, 3.3 times book value, which is double what first round's trading. But compared to its own history, it's, it's, it's back to where it was in 2008. So here you're betting more you know, will Capitec continue to take market share from the other players? Uh, so, but Capitec is, is, is expensive relative to the others, but the whole sector is cheap. And the question uh, that has been posed here by one of our business premium subscribers uh, is which South African banks offer the best upside going forward? <laughs> Alec, uh, if you simply go on valuations, I mean, Netcore, is incredibly cheap. Now, I've, I've, Netcore is trading at 0.59 price to uh, it's our anticipated 220 uh, year-end valuation or a three and a half times book. Netcore, so Netcore by far shows the best upside in a normalized, if, if we normalize fairly quickly, but Netcore is that cheap because it's got the highest exposure to commercial real estate. It's, it's, but then when you listen to Mike Brown, and I actually just sort of spoke to him just before lockdown, and, and he's been constantly saying that on calls as well, that their loan to value, in other words, the, 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 the value of the loan compared to the value of the property they've got in their books is, is let's say, make it 0.5. So your property valuations must halve, and they could come down quite a bit. 50% is quite a lot before they are in distress. Uh, but both of you, you and David, will remember the, the 1980s when we had the banks all sitting on pips, <laughs> the property in possessions. Because when you've got a crisis like this, you know, there's a lot of properties that just don't sell, they don't move. And the banks then get the visions to manage those properties out, and it takes a while. And so that's really in, in the net bank share price. So if you... If you're a high-risk investor and you believe everything will come right and, you know, the market will, then Netcore shows a, a great upside. Apps as well. Apps are 0.81, 20% too. Um, but yeah, if you want certainty, yeah, then first rand on the financial side just shows because first rand will so far as well have shown very little defaults. Um, it's continuing to take market share. It's on the front foot. Uh, I spoke to Alan Pullinger as well. Actually, the same week I spoke to Mike Brown, and they were really making plans as to, you know, post-COVID, what are they they were going to do. So you're quite sure you're going to get a 20%, 20% compound shareholder value growth with a high degree of certainty. 
Ned Bank, David Shapiro. Uh, I, I don't know if you can see the screen. I went back here to 2005 is the last time that the shares were at this level, 2015 years ago. Now, Koki, I'm not going to ask you to do that uh, calculation, but I'm going to ask David if he's uh, going to be piling into NetBank after what Mike Brown told you. Dave? You know, can I just give you some stuff that I was taking out this morning? I knew Koki was going to be there, and I've been actually – one of the reasons that I I feel where I am is that – Sassfin, and it's not for me to talk about Sassfin. I really don't want to talk about it, but I saw their share price now at about 15 Rand, which gives you a capital value of about 500 million Rand for Sassfin. So uh, when I looked at that, it, it, it really shook me. And the other one that I've been looking at is Investec. But what, if you, if you invested five years ago, I looked at the total returns. And in NetBank, your total return is minus 10.9%. So a lot of that is that takes the dividend into consideration with the collapse in the uh, uh, share prices and that. And uh, you've got like Standard Bank at minus 3.7. First Rand has come out okay at, at, at more or less flat. So Investec 9.9%. So, I mean, banks have just been thrown down the toilet. And it's it's very difficult to... To understand this, you know, um, um, against what Corky says, we know they're well capitalized. We know they've given you good return on capital. We know that we're going through a particularly difficult time. But I mean, the valuations are, are, are absolutely dirt cheap at the moment. Uh, Standard Bank came out with a trading update, and the only thing that shook me there is that they said their impairments uh, are going to equal the peak that they saw in the uh, great financial crisis, you know, 08, 09. Era, so they still see um, uh, time ahead. From my point of view, I'm saying, okay, just hold back a bit. Don't have to go in. You know, there's plenty of time. I don't have to be the first pioneer into the banks and that. But I have to endorse what you know what Cocky's saying. This is just some there's some crazy valuations taking place on our market at the moment. While you were talking, Dave, yeah, okay. I, I pulled up the Sassman graph, and we there back to 2004 levels. Uh, Corky, yeah, we've got Standard Bank, and that's uh, yeah. when last was it uh-huh. in the 90s. Shush. You've got to go back to, Alec, oh, well, 10 years. It's, it's, in, it's interesting. We had a, a, a call with a large client, um, and I was saying the same thing about, yeah, on the financial side, we tend to measure the banks and insurers on price to net asset value. It's, it trades like a bond, and you know you're going to get a certain return on that. It's better than, than, than a PE. But okay. So we were saying, listen, and this was more globally, but South Africa as well, the banks are trading. ING in, in Holland is, was trading at 0.33 price to NAV. ABN AMRO at 0.3. Uh, Sockgen, by the way, is trading at 0.18. So, I mean, that's an 80% discount. So the market is saying there are huge losses. And, and the client was asking us, but hold it. We've seen this movie with the prof- property stocks where they were also measuring them on the price to net asset value and saying, yeah, but the net asset values of those properties have come down. So what you're seeing is not a true net asset value, but on the bank side, that is not true. So, but the market has been fearing huge bad debts, and the bad debts will all be have to be bigger than profit for the year to start eating into capital. So, the market is fearing bad debts of such an extent that ba- banks will have to raise capital 
to, you know, to be able to operate again. Now, of the, yeah, we follow about 300 banks. And of the 300 banks globally, we follow, I think there's about 10 so far that will be loss making in 2020. In other words, that's just loss making. So that means you do eat into your capital a bit, but not enough to need to do rights issues. Um, and so you can see where the market is just at the moment very, very, very fearful about bad debts, which we think if we're right, all our research shows that that, that won't happen. Can I just ask you one final question before we let you go, Corky? It comes from Louis Gering. He says, do banks have any differentiation between them? Is that not the reason why they are so low? No expectation premium like U.S. growth companies. Yes, well, but you can see that there's a huge differentiation, let's say Capitec and APSA and First Brand and, and, uh, NetBank. So there is a differentiation, uh, in terms of both the strategies, the quality of the management. You can see that in Europe, Deutsche Bank versus, um, let's say the Austrian banks or even in the US, if you look at JP Morgan versus some of the others. Um, but you are right, it is a homo, it is a, 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 a product that is homogeneous, um, but managements do make a big difference. Koki Koeman is our go-to man whenever it comes to financial services. And David, full value again. Koki is saying to us, pretty simply, that the, the bad news has been overdone. That's nice to hear from him. Haven't heard from him for years. Well, it's uh, it's always good to to hear from Corky. He was with us a couple of months ago where he said that he'd never seen values like this on the market uh, in his 30 years. And uh, I'll, I'll actually just pull that, uh, that story up again because it's well worth getting to have a look at. Here it is on Biz News. Corky Coyman, in 30 years of investing, I've never seen opportunities like this. Uh, and you're having another bite at the cherry if you are interested in making an investment into the financial services sector. We're going to talk to Anthony Lee Levine in just a moment. Nice to have you with us, Anthony. Uh, I've put the, your bio card up on the screen. Uh, and the reason why we asked Anthony to join us today is he ran and uh, he, he sent us an article which we published, uh, which was really, really well read on Biz News, all about economics, uh, the God of economics and the labor law in South Africa. In other words, some of the things that uh, we in South Africa are not really paying much attention to is that you can implement what you like if you're a politician, but unless it is economically viable, it will be a failure. Now, I'm just struggling uh, to get Anthony up. Um, let's just send another request to him and see how that, how that works. But David, uh, uh, oh, there we go. Anthony, can you hear me? Hi. Ah, there we go. Yes. And we got your picture yes. as well. Fantastic. Uh, what motivated you to actually write that piece? Um, okay, uh, as I, uh, I say in my article, I was uh, a factory manager 
um, about 25 years ago during the change from um, the nationalist government to the ANC government. And uh, not uh, incidentally, uh, there was also an introduction of the Labour Relations Act. Um, interestingly enough, it wasn't the ANC which brought out the, the Labour Relations Act. It was the nationalist government in the last years of government that brought it out. And um, this, the, the version they brought out was incredibly draconian and um, anti-business and uh, impossible for employers, uh, except the very of the largest of companies. So actually, I began to wonder what the motivation really was. Um, uh, one can speculate um, on this. Anyway, the ANC, the facts are the ANC uh, took over this LRA and actually brought out a revised version, which was toned down and slightly more favorable for, for business. Um, it was still a nightmare, though. Um, That's really interesting, Anthony. So the history is often lost in the midst of time, but it was the National Party government which had a more draconian LRA than, than the ANC, whereas the perception always is that the ANC are socialists and they wanted to protect workers. Yes. Um, you know, the, uh, as, as I say, you can speculate on the motivation of, of the nationalist government doing a complete U-turn from any of their past policies. But, but I think the facts speak for themselves um, to, to create special... Uh, unreachable, un, un, unprovidable status for workers in a country that's drowning in, in, in unemployment was just bizarre. And, and, and the results uh, speak for themselves. Now, your, the thrust of your article is not negative at all, but very positive. It's to say that if this were to be abandoned, the old apartheid government's uh, last kick uh, in the butt, perhaps, for the new South Africa. If that were to be abandoned, we could become like China or one of the, the, the Asian dragons. J just unpack that and, and why you think that's possible. Okay. Um, I think the, uh, uh, becoming a, a labor-intensive manufacturer like China would be the logical path for South Africa, in addition, obviously, to its existing economy. Um, you have uh, Vietnam um, coming up to speed on the same thing very quickly, um, and they also started from a low technical base. Um, so this would be a natural path to soak up this mess of poor people. I also think that these people already today, without uh, waiting for them to get, to get university degrees, are up to the task already. My previous experience working with them bears this out in many ways. So South Africans have got the skills, they've got the talents, they just haven't got the structure, the legal structure. Right. right. It would require investment, uh, either from overseas or, or from local businesses. But uh, in, in the present climate, or, or for the last 20 years, no one's been willing to invest in manufacturing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's impossible. 
Um, it's also interesting to, to note that this might be a timely thing. Uh, the Trump administration um, is having a war with China and pressurizing businesses to not do business with China. Um, they would welcome alternative manufacturing sites. David Shapiro, that's interesting. Did you, were you aware that it was actually a National Party introduction of the Labor Relations Act that has left us with uh, such a, a mountain to climb? Alec, I remember that period very well, and I remember the labor law at that time. I didn't know it was a carryover. You know, that's where I've gone wrong in, in the sense that uh, they were pretty draconian, you know, um, the nationalist government, particularly towards, well, I wouldn't say towards the end, probably from the mid-80s, uh, 85, 86, etc. Their whole approach to labor was, was, was pretty harsh. But what I didn't realize was that this was a carryover. I thought that this was basically rewritten but it, 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 it's something that we've said all along um, you know we've had so many wonderful manufacturing businesses in South Africa if you go to the pre-94 period you know from, from when I joined the market in 72 uh, and these were world class from, from furniture to textiles to to um, you know to I'm trying to think of the other areas I mean even in the engineering side of it and we've lost all of that and a lot of it was lost because of of our labor practices um, so, you know, I think we all would want, you know, would, would love to see a resurrection or a, a kind of a reform of, of, of the Labor Act that could allow us to actually, in, you know, become a manufacturing site. And there's no reason why not. We've done it before. How, what would you like to ask Anthony? Um, when did you go to Israel? <laughs> when, when, I mean, and what keeps your interest alive? Okay. Uh, both good questions. Uh, I've been out of South Africa in Israel for about 18 years. Uh, I left in 2002. Uh, what keeps my interest, interest alive, uh, in, in fact, I'd say I have an ongoing passion about this issue, is, is that it was an extremely sad and devastating period during the changeover uh, Economically, not uh, politically. Uh, politically, things were wonderful, but but all of a sudden, companies stopped hiring. We, we stopped hiring. Uh, we spoke to other people. We were all in doing the same thing, automating, and and uh, I would have hundreds of people coming up to me outside the factory. Uh, poor people, um, hat in hand. They took the hat off to me. Uh, many of them older, asking me for a job and uh, in the past if, uh, if I liked the person I, w I could have said sure uh, we, we, we could always find a space for a good person in manufacturing but, but uh, then I had to say no and uh, you, you know this was a man usually who would put on their best clothes to come look for a job and they had to go away it, it was an extremely sad period and it stayed with me Anthony, thanks for joining us uh, now and, and, and reflecting. We look forward to picking your brain into the future. It's uh, lovely to have you on Rational Radio. David, before we close off today, I'm just going to uh, pose a couple of We've got quite a few questions for you um, that we need to address, if you don't mind. The first one was food security and land bank failure, a massive crisis. There was a, 
a story in the Sunday Times yesterday about Chris Barron, and uh, Donald Grant wants to ask your thoughts on it. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's just another example of um, the wrong people managing the wrong asset. And earlier on, when when Alec asked me the question, and this wasn't uh, a dig at Nico Bezaitna, it was just that we have to ensure that we've got the right kind of people. You know, Dudu Mayeni's appointment was political. It had nothing to do with her skills. And the fact that she never had the skills uh, showed up and cost the country, what, 20-odd billion. So I think I think, and even... Merging this with, with what Anthony has said, we've got to move away from a political uh, economy. You know, we've got to work much more towards a business economy now. We've learned our lesson. It hasn't worked. You know, let's, uh, you want to get the economy going. You want to get a business economy going. You just got to find the right kind of people and go and, and, and move away from uh, ideology and political leanings. And we've got the people. <laughs> There's plenty of people around that we, we don't have to import them. You know, they're here. I'm, uh, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to talking to Russell Lopeshire. We should actually try and get him on next week. Remember uh, that very famous interview uh, with Russell where he told us that Dudum really is the worst director, bar none, that he's ever worked with uh, when he was on the board of South African Airways. Uh, Russell uh, left there with um, Cheryl Corollis. Remember she was the chair? They all walked out because of what the Zuma administration was up to. And... The public just let it continue. I suppose we get the government we want. Uh, Hugh Basil asks, he says, can we get confirmation of whether the judgment on Mieni confirmed that the Emirates contract would have earned $1.6 billion per annum and was rejected because they wouldn't pay Mieni a million, 10 million rand fine? Uh, yeah, let me just clarify that one, Hugh. The number that we were given was $100 million per annum, which is uh, what Jimmy Conroy said earlier. The 10 million rand bribe is uh, Paul O'Sullivan, as is clearly marked in in his. Uh, so it's a different uh, criminal investigation uh, where he has said that Nyeni demanded a 10 million rand bribe to be paid into the Jacob Zuma Foundation, of which she was the chair. Uh, the judge uh, in the Nyeni judgment, and it really is worth reading, as, as Jimmy Conroy was saying, it's better than a, cri- than a detective novel. Uh, it... it just is it's extraordinary uh, what was going on at the time but how the arrogance of ignorance or the ignorance of arrogance or whichever way you want to put it can cost the country 21 billion they read it 21 billion rand and he um uh, there's donald grant asks again how is the south african government going to deal with this issue david how do you think it would deal with this whole South African Airways issue now that pack taxpayers are going to be putting another 21 billion rand in unnecessarily it appears well, they don't have a choice, unfortunately. You know, um, it, it, it now goes back to uh, Provin Gordon. You know, it goes back to and to the board of SAA whether whether they can put people around and whether this is enough to actually get it going. That's my fear. Is is uh, what kind of structure are they going to put in place? And the sad thing is that we just fund it. We just don't have a choice around it. And um, you know, I wish we did because I think there are a lot of other things that we can stop. Um, I'd, I'd love to see what the outcry is or, or how the public uh, take to it. So um, it's not in our hands, Sam. Mm. I would, I'm on the other side of the fence of this one, Dave, having done quite a lot of uh, research into it. If you, if you take just two things here, the one is if there were no 
price depressor in this market, the airlines would completely uh, rip, up, rip us off to the degree that, and I agree with the tourism story, that we wouldn't get tourists. Of course, now with COVID-19, one doesn't know when the tourists are ever going to come back. But, but the point is, is, is very clear. And secondly, this was a very profitable airline. Properly run without political interference, it is because of the unique circumstance. You bring Nico Bezadnot back in, and he comes out of this judgment extremely well against in, in impossible circumstances he had to move, work with. He went off then to Mango, and of course, politics there as well. The Black Management F uh, Foundation or Forum uh, is now trying to challenge his appointment because he's white, which is also just ridiculous. We've got to get rid of the, the, that kind of nonsense and just move on. He's obviously, uh, certainly if they just read the judgment, perhaps they will withdraw that because he, he, he did his very, very best. And, and we would have been making decent, the airline would have made good money, depressed prices uh, from other airlines. And there is a potential for this to be a proper business, as it always was or has been for, for many years. How the government's going to deal with it? Well, it's, it's been passed on to the NPA. And let's uh, hope that Shamila Batoy finally gets going on something because even even her greatest supporters are now saying why is it taking years to start putting people behind bars yeah Alec it comes down to that I'm not saying we can't find the right people you know I'm not I'm just saying you don't want a Malema going off and you don't want government going off again you know you want to say listen we're going to build a business and, and put the right people on and and I, I said a couple of months I think a couple of weeks ago I said you know I would hate to see SAA vanish and I think it does believe me if we're going to have to book overseas airlines and you're traveling overseas you have no idea what those prices are relative to to what it costs us to travel uh, just ask anybody who buys a ticket in America or England to come here versus what it costs to buy here to go there. No. So, yeah, I, I would ha and I don't want to lose my Voyager points. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, okay. And I think that's also Paul, Paul O'Sullivan's uh, uh, attack on Dudumieni was he didn't want to lose his platinum card, his life status. Then he said it up front. He said, I, I'm defending my platinum card, which cost me a lot of money. Uh, John Chapman wants to ask, how do you buy exposure to Microsoft on the JSC? You can't. Uh, what you can do and what's worked very well for us um, is that you've got ETFs and you can buy a, a NASDAQ ETF, um, which gives you the best exposure you can. So where we haven't been able to go offshore, look, there are a lot of offshore platforms now you can go on to, um, you know, that do give you an, it's not difficult at all to go onto an offshore plat uh, platform and buy direct, get the money out and go through the processes. But if you want to stay on the JSC, um, I found that the NASDAQ uh, ETF is, has worked very, very well for us. So you can get that. You know, uh, Magda's got her fourth industrial revolution as well, which is is worth looking into. So, you know, without without going in, there, there, there are options to participate, although you are going to participate in an index type basis. Magda being Magda Wirzikcha of Signia. Louis Hering um, put this up. He said an interesting fact. Zoom's market cap last week surpassed Anglo-Americans by two times. <laughs> Isn't that kind of putting, putting the old and the new economy into perspective? David, Owen Tennant wanted to know what is the fourth schedule? 
I, I don't know. I, I actually took down notes because um, Jimmy was talking about it, and, and, and I was going to ask the same question. He said that, you know, some, something about uh, third schedule or fourth schedule. So I'm not quite sure what what he alluded to. Well, Jimmy's still Jimmy Jimmy's still with us. He's 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 still uh, listening in. Jimmy, could you could you answer that? I don't remember talking about a third schedule or fourth schedule at all. <laughs> I don't either. That's why I passed it to you. Okay. So, uh, what isn't there a thing called the fourth schedule of the Income Tax Act, Dave? Isn't that perhaps uh, what we're no, talking about? No, no. I thought this was to do with Emirates deal. With the Emirates oh, no. deal that they oh, you know what it was. I know exactly what it was. I'm not, I, Jimmy, uh, it was the fourth flight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that right? What happened there was Emirates used to have three schedules a day. They were granted a fourth schedule a day for the World Cup. Um, after the World Cup, the Department of Transport then tried to take that schedule away from Emirates, and Emirates contested it in court, and they asked for SAA's assistance in the matter. So that was all tied in with the Emirates deals, part of a quid pro quo that uh, SAA would assist Emirates keep their fourth schedule, but in return, SAA would operate that fourth schedule with SAA aircraft and crew. Nothing to do with the fourth schedule of the Income Tax Act, but the fourth flight, in other words, four flights into South Africa daily. Thanks, Jimmy, um, and, and thanks for staying with us to, uh, to, to answer that one. There's a question for Anthony, and I see he's also stayed with us uh, on, on mute. Uh, Anthony, it comes from Peter Loebscher who would like to hear your view on the readiness skills-wise in the context of technological developments in the digital or 3D manufacturing era, where is the manufacturing opportunity for South Africa? Lovely question. I'm glad you're still with us, Anthony. Um, okay. Uh, it's, uh, I don't think it's in one particular sphere. I think most manufacturing uh, boils down to common sense, even uh, technical things, uh, you show a, a worker what to do and, and, and how the equipment works, and after that it's just a, a, a common sense operation. Um, if you are, are talking about uh, products which are highly complex, obviously you would have to have um, technical people, technical experts doing that. But, but the vast majority of manufacturing is simple common sense and and there's very little difference um, doing say an RF amplifier as I was doing to uh, building vases say. Brilliant thank you very much uh, to for answering uh, Peter's question there and the final question David is uh, from Paul Jeffries he says in the president's speech last night Sir Ramaphosa mentioned infrastructure spend to help resuscitate the South African economy could this mean a renewal of construction stocks? Give us the money. <laughs> Once we know where the money is and, <laughs> and how much the money, how much they're going to spend, because up to up to now, Alec, it's been zero. And uh, I think you can buy the entire construction sector on the JSC for less than twenty billion. I doubt whether it comes to ten billion, which is just crazy, crazy numbers. And the only reason it's there is that they're not getting uh, the jobs. And even if you go through the budgets, the amount that's being spent to renew this economy is zero. And you know any asset that you have 
You need to keep maintaining it and keep adding to it. And uh, we've got to see the numbers, but it's an absolute imperative. And it's not, it's not only South Africa. I think that the whole world needs to, uh, to regenerate, you know, to look at their bridges and their roads and uh, the entire infrastructure. But for us, it's, it's, you know, the sooner the better. And it, and it's, it's a massive multiplier to the entire economy. Do yourself a favor. Go add up the, the, the market cap of PPCs and the Murray and Roberts, although they call themselves a mining company now, but Avenge, they've all gone. And Wilson Bailey, you can buy these companies for zero, and there's huge amount of skills and experience behind them. So I, I hope something comes of it, but show us the money. Mm. <laughs> um, I'd like to make a comment on, on this, if I may. Sure, man, to me. Okay, uh, Zuma's uh, new, new deal, uh, I assume it's, it's somewhat based on Roosevelt's new deal, which uh, saved the U.S. from the depression it was in. Uh, what most people know about Roosevelt's new deal is that it saved America. What most people are unaware of is that it was a complete failure. Uh, mm. Roosevelt's New Deal was a very socialistic package. It introduced unions and the public works. It was introduced in 1933 in the U.S., and the Depression dragged on for years regardless. It was only the outbreak of the Second World War in 1939 that uh, stopped the Depression in America. Um, obviously, because of the huge demand for goods and services from Europe and, and, and especially arms. Um, so I think uh, uh, doing even infrastructure or uh, public works uh, social programs is, is putting the cart before the horse. Uh, Anthony, thanks. Thanks for your, your opinion on that. Uh, it's, it's, I suppose uh, w when we start getting into those kind of conversations, uh, who knows? But uh, what we were looking at right now, David, just to close off with, really, uh, is the – I was wanting to show you that graph of Afrimat, uh, which, as you can see, some smart money has started to nibble away. I did mention uh, a, a while ago that Afrimat might be a beneficiary of – a new deal, if it's a, if it's a disaster or not a disaster, it still would put millions of people and pick and shovels to work. Uh, and it's a decision that, that unfortunately is kind of out of, out of your and my and Anthony's hands. Uh, but one of the big beneficiaries clearly would be Afrimat, who are a, a materials handling. Uh, and, and you can see the smart money is going in there. So the more Ramaphosa talks about uh, construction, I guess the more uh, one can participate in it through a company like this. Uh, you did mention David Wilson Bailey as well, um, and uh, I've, I've just been battling to find uh, that one to try and put it on there as well. But uh, Wilson Bailey is, is, is also at, at a very, very um, a, a, a large discount to what it was previously, You're going back many years to get to, to where it, when you last saw it at these levels. Where they, where Afrimat has done well, and where Murray and Roberts are doing well, uh, is that they've gone into contract mining, and you know that uh, Afrimat went into iron ore, and you know the iron ore price is holding up around about a uh, hundred dollars a ton uh, on Chinese demand. So um, they picked the right area to go into.
But uh, these companies had to keep themselves going by looking for, uh, you know, for contracts. But locally, uh, you can see it in the cement price and you can see it in demand for cement here. Um, exactly what's happening in that area and the whole building area. Um, so I, I, I understand where Anthony's coming from, but I think um, we're more interested in maintaining the economy than building roads to nowhere or building dams for nothing. I think in our case, we actually need those dams and those roads in order to to stimulate the economy. I think there's a slight difference in, in Roosevelt's New Deal, you know, relative to, to where we are now. I think in this case, and I think in America, you know, they need, otherwise they can't get goods to harbor, etc. So I don't think it's the Chinese way of building those bridges and, and towns and everything that are not occupied. You know, that's a slight difference. And just to close off with, there's the picture of Wilson Daly Homes. We are at levels last seen, or we recently were at levels last seen, 13 years ago. So like yeah. the banks, you, some of them, you're going back 15 years. As you mentioned, Sassfin, 15 or 16 years. Wilson Bailey, the, the only construction company left standing is where it was 13 years ago. I, I did mention last month in our, uh, in our investment webinar, in fact last week, that we will be adding Wilson Bailey and Afrimat to the portfolio uh, come this month. We're going to drop uh, Richmond, and hopefully these prices remain at the levels that they are for the end of the month until that. Well, David, we've, we've, uh, we've overstayed our welcome, as we always do, but I'd like to give everyone the opportunity to have their questions answered. Thanks, as always, uh, for, for sharing your wisdom with us. Interesting program. And I hope you're going to go and read that judgment, 114 pages of it. Took my, took a lot of my weekend, but my word, was it was it uh, was it a worthwhile exercise? Um, you just got to hope that there's follow up. You know, that's that's the whole thing. We haven't seen anything, and we're very slow getting to courts here, which is and that that causes a lot of anger as well. Uh, you want to see the criminals in jail. Uh, you know, and that includes in business point of view, you know, the same thing. We can't say it only for government. You've got to say it for, for corporates as well, or Steinhoff as well. You want to bring an end to these claims. So, yeah. I, I, I think that we are moving in the right direction, not as fast as everybody wants us to. But sometimes when you stop and you read a judgment like that, which has taken five years of delaying tactics to finally for the truth to come out, you realize what a huge bullet the country ducked uh, in December 2017 at the ANC presidential elective conference when Ramaphosa was elected against all odds. Had a Zuma uh, dynasty continued, you shudder to think where we'd be today. David, thank you. Thank you against you. Are we, uh, are, could you tell us where we'll be able to find the, uh, the, the uh, recordings? Excellent. Thanks, Alec. And thanks, David, as always. Um, yes, I've put the YouTube channel on the chat, Alec. It's on the business YouTube channel. I wouldn't be able to read out the actual link itself, but it is on the chat there. And we put all our webinars once per once process, we'll put them onto the YouTube channel. Um, but yes, thanks, Alec, for everything. Great. So it's down the bottom of the, of, of the little box. It says chat, and there they are. Uh, and thanks. I, I see you've put uh, Russell Loebscher's interview from 2017 and there was one, I think it went back to 2013. So oh, we've been around a while now, Stu. Uh, and it's, by the way, it's Stuart's fifth anniversary with Biz News today. Isn't that something? For a, for a young company, you've been here pretty much from the beginning. So congratulations on, 
on another work, another year. It's been amazing working with you, and, and thank you, Stuart. I'm sure all members of the business community thank you as well for the for the efforts that you do. And Mr. Shapiro and I, I think our our history goes back. Dave, do you remember 1997, first of April? Um, long time. Yeah, uh, long time. That's where where we brought. SABC. We brought we, in the dungeons of the SABC. We brought business radio to this country, and my word, cheap uh, mm, as it is, a long time, more than 20 years. Anyway, it's been a pleasure being with you again today, and thank you for uh, for, for being with us. Uh, and we look forward to being in your company again with the Rational Radio, the webinar <laughs> on Monday. Well then, cheerio. <laughs>